Hey everyone, it's Jim Surik. Welcome back to the Medical Sales Nation. I appreciate you guys joining. Um, I have a gentleman on the podcast by the name of Matthew Ray Scott. He uh, has been in the field 30 years plus and is dropping bombs on his experience and him and I go back and forth sharing our experiences and those that have influenced us, how we've made decisions, how we've looked at it and hopefully, especially for the younger audience out there and at the time of this pandemic that there's advice that if followed could really be impactful and, and thoughts. So it's really an engagement of thought and concept in which we look past on our career and we look forward. And we talk about the importance of a sales rep today, being the frontline person for the company. We talk about the distributor networks out there and how powerful we think they're going to get, especially if they leverage their uh, their infrastructure. And, uh, and just telling stories about our careers in which people influenced us, how we made those decisions. And uh, I think you're really going to enjoy it. I... I'll be honest, I am recording this uh, right after I did the podcast, and I rarely do that because um, sometimes I need, uh, well, it's a timing issue and and such, but this one I wanted to get out. It's the weekend, it's Friday, and uh, well worth your time. So without further ado, let's get at it. everybody to the Medical Sales Nation. Um, I have a guest on. His name is Matthew Ray Scott. You might see him on LinkedIn. If, you, if you're not seeing him, you need to follow him, especially after this podcast. And he's got an incredible, diverse background in the medical field and through his experiences, has led him to a passion that uh, I think is incredibly important in these times. And uh, Without me going into it, I'm just going to have Matthew introduce yourself to the Medical Sales Nation. Tell us about your background, where you started, where you're headed, and let's talk about our field. Can do, Jim. First of all, I want to thank you for what you're doing with your podcast. You and I share in educating medical device professionals and healthcare professionals. So I want to thank you what you're doing for our industry. And then I'll briefly segue what my past looked like and how it allowed us to work with some of the leading surgeons and leading medical technology companies. It began for me as an army officer with a particular focus in working with doctors. Now my responsibility in that was to help get doctors safely, whether that was jumping out of an airplane or whether that was driving up in a Humvee to a point on the battlefield where they could treat the most patients safely. When I came back from Iraq, I was selected for graduate school to be able to get an MBA and a master's of science in healthcare management. So my second experience with doctors was in a hospital setting, one of the largest military hospitals in the country and working on the operations and leadership side. 
1994, I found myself at a crossroads. I began to be recruited with respect to medical device companies, and I made a pivot. And that pivot was going through medical sales and marketing opportunities, which ultimately led me to uh, be fortunate enough to serve as a vice president for different companies on the orthopedic, spine, and biotech side of the house, and then become an entrepreneur and to be a part of a company that sold to Medtronic for 16 times earnings, which led me to another pivot for doctors and for medical device professionals. You see, what had happened for me, Jim, was I kind of took all that experience and I said, what's really an untapped or unmet need in the market? It was twofold. One, surgeons understanding how to differentiate what they do and why they do what they do that no longer was it working in 2008 during a recession or 2000 or 2020 during a pandemic of doctors being able to just expect patients to walk in. So we saw that and we said, we're going to be a part of helping doctors to become the specialists within their specialty. Medical device companies took notice. They began to hire us to say, you guys are practice building experts. We want to tap into that. And from that led to our team spread out amongst locations in San Diego, Las Vegas, and Northwest Arkansas, where we began to become known as people that understand how to compliantly and creatively create marketing for some of the leading startup or, um, you know, fully ventured organizations and shaping stories and marketing that gets doctors to listen. You know, um, I mean, that's fascinating. What type of companies did you start off with um, on the device side? Was was it ortho? Because your your background was there? Correct. Um, So we started off with orthopedics and spine. And then that became a natural segue into neurosurgery. I had neurosurgical navigation and neurosurgery experience before, and then that led into to neurosurgery. Okay. So from the focus area of spine, and then expand that into reconstruction, sports medicine, trauma, et cetera, within the orthopedic circle, and then into brain aneurysms all the way to the full scope of neurosurgeons. That's where we had the most experience. That's how we developed a niche audience. Okay. So I want to I step back. First off, thank you for your service. I appreciate it. Um, and... Um, I want to talk also about in 1994, so I started my medical device um, in 1993, so, um, so we're about the same time frame, and you, you use the word pivot. You pivoted into to sales and marketing. There's a lot of people that listen to this audience that are um, recent college grads um, under the age of 35 that are, are looking for advice and always looking for some direction and insight. How did you at that point decide to make that pivot? I love this question. It's such a good and timely question because, you know, Jim, you and I circa 1994 or during the tough times of 2008, you and I have the vantage point that we understand what that was like. Tough times, good times, pivot. So my response to that person who is A, cracking into the industry, or B, asking yourself right now, 
do I want to work for Big Brother industry or would I be better served in starting a distributorship? What I would suggest is if you're trying to crack into the industry, I would say to you, become masters of selling. There is a tendency and there is a focus on the technical aspects of surgery. And I want to let you know, if you're listening to me, I have a really distinct viewpoint on this. Learning how to do surgery is just the price you pay for entering our industry. You get no bonus points whatsoever. I know I'm speaking in pretty distinct language, but you get no bonus points for being a college graduate who graduates from medical sales college or wherever, and you're quote unquote an adequate case coverage rep. Too many people are falling victim to, if I know how to do an acetabular reconstruction, if I know how to do a lumbar cage, I'm going to be fine. And the problem with that is, is you haven't focused on what you're hired to do, which is to solve problems and sell products. Yeah. So that, would you agree with Yo, that? Gene? Yeah, no, I do. It's interesting because, um, I am passionate about sales training, um, coaching and development through and through. And, and that, and the reason is now it's really funny. How, why did that happen to me is that I, I got a, my first job was selling and I've written some articles that are on, is on LinkedIn where I said I was the worst medical sales rep in the world. And, and I was, and I went to this two week training for a company called general medical, which has been acquired, I think by McKesson and it's two weeks. And I think we spent, a half a day on sales training. And so I'm a recent college grad who gets this job and then I come back home and I don't know what to do. Mm -hmm. Right. I'm running around going, I'm the worst, literally the worst sales rep. I actually took a picture of my puppy, put it on a piece of paper, um, Xeroxed it and put in, Hey, this is what's on sale this week. That's about as good as I could get. Right. It's a, my puppy sale. Right. And so I went to, I went to this guy's name's Paul Kramer and he's a phenomenal rep. I think he, he's still in the business. And I went to him and I asked him, I said, I don't know what I'm doing. Tell me what I'm doing. And he goes, well, what are you doing? And I told him and he goes, Oh, you're under the misconception that you're selling medical supplies. Mm-hmm. I, I go, but I've got a book this thick, you know, two inches thick with medical supplies. It's like you're selling distribution services. And I was like, what are you talking about? And then he spent time training me and then things got better. But then I got in the spinal implant business and went through sales training. It still wasn't great. Um, then they brought in uh, a guy by the name of Charlie Johnson to really do some sales training and management training and coaching. And as I was growing through my career, it just became so apparent that there's just a lack. And what, you know, you're talking about be a master of sales. You're going to have, you're listening to this podcast. You're going to probably have to do that on your own because it doesn't exist necessarily in companies. They, they treat training as an event, right? Versus a process over a lifetime. Mm-hmm. That's well said, Jim. I can, I can empathize with everything that you're saying. I went through the same, process myself in the same evolution. You know, that second pivot point that, that you and I are talking about, which is you're that individual who you've got some points on the board. You maybe have been promoted 
but you're at a crossroads right now. You're asking yourself, do I continue to get promoted so that I'm not quote unquote slinging a bag and meeting doctors at the scrub sink? So do I keep getting promoted or do I take a leap of faith, become a 1099 and either join or start a distributorship, something that I know that you and I know something about. What I would say to that person is make sure that you're running towards something rather than away from something, number one. And then number two, what I would say to you is, is, and you and I have talked about this collectively and independent, the action, the most exciting pivot that we're going to see in medical device in 2020 is the emergence of distributors that no longer think of themselves as manufacturer sales reps. Rather, they are regional practice builders, problem solvers, and big companies are going to find those unique distributorships, and they are entrepreneurial in nature, and they are going to come after you and say, we must have you. You're indispensable. And so what I wish that you and I, Jim, could be privy to is you and I are at you know, a bar in Chicago or at a dinner table between a husband and a wife, and you and I are privy to that conversation of, I think I want to run my own pirate flag up the flagpole and start my own distributorship. And I say to you, take courage and take heart because in 2008 or 2020, the time to pivot and to think entrepreneurially instead of just you're going to get squeezed on margin. You're going to get a quota that's whacked and you've got to sell so many isolated products. You're now thinking entrepreneurial. And I've said this before, and I know that this resonated with you, Jim, is that I have said that modern day distributors, your distributorship is going to look more like my brand agency and the way that you think and pivot, Jim, than just simply wait for new products and send and depend upon big brother company to do all the marketing. Those days for 7% of you are over with and you, the 7% that pivot, you're going to crush it. You're going to create legacy and wealth because patients aren't going anywhere. Patients still need doctors, but the conversations that we're having with doctors are not on the nuance of pore size. Rather, it's a doctor saying, how is your product safely treated and the best treatment option for my procedural outcomes going to help me to attract more patients? Yeah. If you can't answer that, you're in trouble. Yeah. And so what you're talking about really is... I don't want to put words in your mouth, but what I'm hearing is that if you're if you're selling a commodity and it's not it's not going to drive more more patients. That's right. Right. I mean, Jim, Jim, on your earlier podcast, and when I learned from you on LinkedIn, you're a master at telling people, "Hey, you're in the midst of selling problem solving in a process." And I and I say the same thing to our audience. And you're right that if you act and sound like every other sales consultant. And if you rely upon product features, which are tougher in a commodity language to, for a doctor to tell the difference, what we know to be true, if it takes a surgeon 
too long or too many mental calories to figure out what the heck you're selling in a way that's different than what he or she's already using, you've lost the sale. Yeah. They will not give you the time of day. Yeah. Do you think I had a conversation with somebody, a uh, regional manager out of a big med tech company this week, and we we're talking about selling and the access to selling. Um, because I think there's there's two different thoughts here, and we'll get back to the distributor thing. Because as you said, you and I talked about it, um, where they're they're talking about you know this access and getting in. And he said to me, which I thought was interesting. He said, he goes, actually, doctors are more willing to listen now, but you better drive value. Mm-hmm. And he goes, but you're getting the time as long as you're you're messaging appropriately. He he worked for me at one point, and he he went to, you know, the value based messaging, the value based questions that you're asking. They have to be on target, but if you do it right, they're more open because change, right, is everywhere now. Yeah, I I think that's well said by your buddy. I think it's well said by you. Um, this is a time of great access to doctors. Patients haven't gone anywhere. Hospitals aren't going anywhere and surgeons are alive and well. What what I have found is that I think it's a mistake, even a crutch for some sales consultants to say the access is preventing me from selling. I disagree. I think that the challenge that most sales consultants have is they're not overpriced. They're just under exclusive. They're not it's not that your product is bad. It's just that you're boring. You, <laughs> that's exactly, I, I know that, you know, hey, two mid, hey, Jim, you and I are Midwestern kids, right? Yeah, we can yeah. say that, right? That's right. That's right. So, yeah. I mean, you and I have been punched in the nose and we can say, hey, you're boring. Now, I want to classify boring with it's implied that you're compliant. And, a lot of medical device companies and certainly medical sales professionals, what's happening is, is that under the blanket of a pandemic in this crutch of we don't have access, I can't stalk a doctor at the scrub sink, you've become boring. Now, you can and you must be compliant and truthful, but there's never been, an, and I, I'm going to use this word, there's never been an easier time to get the attention of a busy surgeon. What's changed is you've got less time to get to the point and be considered a problem solver, solver or interesting. So it's, it's almost that challenger sales model. I know what your problem is. This is what it is. Um, it's caused by a lack of technology. It's not your fault. It's a lack of technological advancement. This problem can be solved. A, B, and C, I'd love to talk to you. That's right. And, and I, I know that you teach this to your audience, and, and I'm trying to do the same. P for pandemic. Contextually, that's important. If you're a sales consultant, you can never use the word pandemic enough times. What it does is it allows you, when speaking to a surgeon, to understand the context of the times that you're in and they're in. P for problem solving. If you believe my premise that doctors want to use the latest in medical technology, they do. Doctors want to use the latest in the best because they care about their patients. They just can't wait for you to be boring enough so that they'll send you to the VAC committee so that you're going to get banged on price. Yeah, right. 
And so what, what I say to people is, is that if you believe in the thought process that P for pandemic, then out of your mouth within 15 seconds when speaking to a doctor that you either don't know or that you do know, you must get to the point of saying, here's the biggest problems that we have seen from other surgeons in your specialty as it relates to dot, dot, dot. And they are one, two, and three. Which one of these apply to you the most, Dr. Scratch and Sniff? Right. It's the best way of, one, it, it's honorable. It is professional. It gets to the point. They know that you're, quote, unquote, not going to bore them with the 37-minute history yeah. of product <laughs> nuance. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's the whole thing. I, I actually, I think I, I, I wrote this article when I got into spine, and I was call, I was doing actually a pretty good job. And um, it was probably in the first year I finally got a doctor who was using my cervical plate to take a look at my lumbar stuff. And so I go to his office and I set up all my equipment. I put, you know, what the orthopedic trains are, right? So it's all over the room in a, in a set way. The doctor comes in, mumbles as he walks around looking at all the equipment. It's exactly the same as what he's already using, <laughs> right? And he walks out the door. <laughs> I'm like, I am the worst salesperson right now in the world. Oh, yeah. You know, I, going, but you sometimes you have to run into walls to know to go through the door. So um, there is something to be said about being the Forrest Gump of sales, which I can relate to. Um, I remember, so you and I come from, you and I share spine. Yeah. I remember this, Jim. So I'm working at Nuvasive and I remember kind of speaking of Forrest Gump. I remember kind of going through this. I'm not a smart man but I know what, and I just remember going through that equation thinking X lift, I'm going to go to doctors and I'm going to take P for positioning in this case, the unique patient positioning. And then I'm going to translate P for positioning to position those doctors to attract more ideal patients under what was then already becoming a commodity language of minimally invasive. Yeah. And we sold the heck out of it. And I just remember telling my team, you just stick with the mantra of P for patient positioning, P for doctor positioning, P for patients. Yeah. You can say anything you want as long as you say those three P's. Yeah. That's great advice. Yeah. And I think that even today, you and I, as we're speaking to a variety of sales consultants, healthcare professionals, that... You think you're selling a product. You're not. You must be selling a perspective or a point of view that aligns itself uniquely with a perspective that coincides with your product. If you can do that, you will find that more busy surgeons and more overwhelmed contractors at hospitals, they will at least give you the time of day to state your case. And that's all we can ask for. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. It's, um, man, there's a lot here. I'm taking notes like crazy. It's, we did the same thing at Advanced Bionics, which is now Boston Pain, is that at that time, the technology was so much advanced over Medtronic but Medtronic owned 85% of the market and ANS had 15%. We went in with, we're going to treat your toughest patients 
because we know we can hit that, which is focal low back pain. And if we can do that, think of what we can do for your other patients. And when we do this and we prove it, you're going to be able to treat more patients and attract more patients. And that's exactly what happened. And Boston came in and paid $3 billion for it when we were at like, I think, $70 million in sales. That's so, great. Yeah. So it was um, – it's, it's the same thing. So, But what you're talking about too and in, in your it's, – it's because it's innate to you. You keep talking about – it's the sales training piece, right? So you're, I can tell, just a, a constant learner, right? Mm-hmm. And, and, and for the folks listening to this is that, like I said earlier, we talked about sales training. It should never end. You're going to have to find it. You're going to have to follow people and you're going to have to train yourself and get better at it. And then always be introspective of what's working and what's not working. And it's okay to be wrong. It's okay not for it not to work, but it's not okay just to keep doing it. Yeah, it's well said, Jim. You know, I think I have a greater appreciation for training and learning once I no longer had a purple check with the name Nuvasive (laughs) come to me on the 1st and the 15th of every month. I think that... The minute that I turned to my wife and my family and I realized that I was selling myself, I became a much more focused learner. So for the record, I think you and I can agree many companies, they do a really good job. They, they really do. They do a good job of giving us training opportunities, and I'm thankful for that. But when you and I made the pivot to where Big Brother was no longer paying us on the first and the 15th month, I decided that I needed to expand my learning to find mentors. And here's what I learned about mentors. In most cases, a mentor is a person that has done what you want to do. They have been there and they have done that. And here's what I've learned is that mentors don't call you up in general. Mentors, you know, Mentors don't generally call you up and say, hey, I really want to help you get to the next level. But the right mentors respond well when a Jim or a Matthew or a Mary with uh, appreciation and respect contact them and find an easy way for them to share their knowledge. And so over time, Jim, I so respect the mentors in my life. You had talked about a mentor when, you know, I was the same way, buddy. I couldn't sell my way out of a wet paper bag. Yeah. It's 1995. I'm at St. Louis Children's Hospital. I hope Marta's still there. Uh, but Marta was a nurse. And no joke, she walked up to me and she said, Matthew, I like you. But I don't think you could sell your way out of a wet paper bag. <laughs> and so her language, Jim, you know, Midwestern kid. Yeah. It hit me right between the eyes in a loving way. And she followed up with, I know a guy. I'm going to introduce you to him and he's going to help you. And Marta said, cause I want to buy products from you because I know that you're going to do everything you can to serve this account. And I, I mean, this was early. This is like month two in my brand new sales territory. And this, sure enough, this gentleman showed up 
and he was generous and he was giving. He didn't let me off the hook. He called me out when I needed to be called. I didn't have to pay him a penny. Sure. But in turn, Jim, he made me easily seven figures. And to this day, I try at the risk of sounding corny, I like you, I try to be open and accessible to people who respect my time so that you and I both know when a young person or a person who's getting ready to pivot like you did, Jim, if they're respectful and they approach you and I in the right way, we're going to hop on LinkedIn and we're going to tell them, here's what I learned or here's what you can learn. And I value mentors. And I tell medical device people all the time, especially a medical sales college graduate, if you spend half as much time connecting with people who are where you want to become in our industry on LinkedIn, as you do listening to a scrub tech teach you how to do a procedure. If you spend half as much time networking, your future is going to be taken care of today. Yeah, no, it's absolutely true. And, um, and that, that reaching out to a mentor, looking for advice, um, be willing to say, I don't know, I need help is okay. Sometimes when I hear it all the time, and sometimes hear it from my kids is that they don't want to admit that they don't know anything. And, and mm. I said, how are you ever going to learn? If you go through life pretending, you know, this fake it till you make it, I think is complete crap. And mm -hmm. so it's, if you're fake it to make it, as long as you're knowing internally that shit, I don't know what I'm doing. Yeah. Um, but I'm willing to go find out, but I'm going to, you know, have the confidence. I'm going to exude the confidence so that people know that I am confident and I'm going to be there for them is okay. So it goes back to this being a learner and that is reaching out to other people and asking them because you're learning. That's what you're doing. So, and there's a correlation between learning and making money. It took me a while. It, it seems intuitive. It seems implied, but what, my mentor taught me, and he was exactly right. He said, Matthew, most of us have an innate curiosity or an ability to learn. Rather, it's learning the right things that are most important to you, whether that's revenue producing or significance producing. And what he helped me realize was that learning in a generalized way is not where it's at. Meaning, if you and I struggle with selling it's time to call somebody on LinkedIn who you think has their act together. Yeah. And you lead with, Hey, I got to I'm willing to sell my puppy to pay rent or I'm, or the terminology I can't sell my, or a nurse just told me I can't sell my way out of a wet paper bag. The right mentor is going to go, is going to laugh and go, I'm going to buy you a cup of coffee and I'm going to share with you some things that you can apply. Those people are out there. Yeah, absolutely. So um, I want to go back to this, uh, the distributor idea that you have, because you and I talked about it, where with this pandemic, and I don't know what the future is going to look like, right? I don't know if we're going to get a vaccine and everything's going to go back to it was pre-COVID or not. But I do know companies are looking at digital technologies to be able to do things where they don't have to put people on planes all the time. And that, and unfortunately, you know, for, like you said, big brother, big companies, they're realizing that they can do a hell of a lot more mm -hmm. um, 
with with less, right? And that's right. people, you know, and because sales is one of the biggest expense lines for a company. And I believe, though, if if you're smart um, and you're a sales rep right now, if you're just a case covered person, that's all you're doing. But your your tag on your or your uh, title on your card is sales associate or sales rep or senior sales associate. But all you're doing is covering cases. You're not a sales rep. And and I and I don't mean to um, call that out unless you're. I should say if that's all you're doing. So, but I believe, and then this is where you and I talked the other week. The rep is going to be the most important person to a company because of the lack of company access mm-hmm. into the surgeon office. Okay, so so that rep, I, I put a post out, is it 1993 again? Because when I was selling spinal instruments, implants, I was the most important person, right? Because I, I had all the relationships. I was introducing everybody to everyone. Same with all the reps from sophomore Danic, up and down, and with the distributors. So I, I don't know if it's, it's going to be like this, but we're going to get to the distributor piece that we talked about. I talked to a distributor um, three months ago, covers three states um, in the orthopedic business. And he was just picking my brain for, you know, an hour and a half about the future and what it looks like. And, you know, he says to me, listen, I got three states. I've got um, delivery trucks. I know um, supply chain management in almost every hospital. I know who the key decision makers are. How do I leverage this, right? Because he's just selling orthopedics. And, you know, they got the other lines that are out there. And I'm like, you know what? If you, if I were you, I would leverage your distribution network. But you're going to, like you said, you're going to have to brand yourself not as an orthopedic distributor, but of a company, right, as a, as a company that has access within these this tri-state area because – if you can get in faster, because if these startups come out, and, and, and this is just if things don't go back, these startups come out and they can't, they hire a sales force that doesn't have access, that sales ramp's going to be longer. But if they go to you and you have access to these hospitals and you can provide this value and, and, and say it, you're going to have incredible value to the startup community going forward. Thoughts? Oh, I completely agree with that. If you're a distributor right now, what I'm getting ready to tell you, you know that this is implied, but it's your responsibility and your privilege to be the regional problem solver for your segment of surgeons in your specialty. That's a privilege and a responsibility. There is not a VP of sales in America that is sitting in a boardroom with a mass saying, how do we keep expensive direct sales reps on board? Yeah. That conversation is not taking place. No, it's not. And, and so it goes back to what you and I talked about earlier, which is we're all in sales. Just some people don't know it yet. And so what my mentor taught me was, Matthew, if you can master the art of relationship building, sales, and business development, you'll never need a job. And he was right. Now, it took me a while to get my head caved in and have a nurse tell me that she feels sorry for me. It took me a while. But once I had the Martas of the world go, you're a good kid, you suck at sales, 
I'm going to introduce you to somebody who's going to help you. Yeah. Once I had those opportunities, which are available to all of us, I then began to get it. And you're right. Let During a pandemic, I think that it's important that we as sales professionals start not with what's changing, but rather what's not going to change. And what's not changing in a pandemic, pre, during, and post, doctors want and need technology to improve the lives of patients that they care about. Yep. Hospitals will pay for it. So now, what is your interface as a sales professional? And I think that what we're seeing, and I go back to responsibility, if you can agree with me, uh, direct W2 sales rep or 1099, if you're listening to me right now, if you can agree with me that in that boardroom, they're not talking about paying fat-based salaries during a pandemic. If you can agree with me that you have an opportunity in the state of Texas, Chicago proper, whatever, to take your relationships and your desire to be a problem solver, you're no longer at the mercy of one company. You're now at the demand of products and services. And that was a shift for me in my distributorship was I remember thinking if I'm beholden to one manufacturer for products, for marketing, for how much I get paid, it's my own darn fault. Yeah. Yeah, no, I agree. I agree. And, you know, when we talk about relationship building, I um, I always said is the only reason you have a relationship is because you created and provided value. And if you, you can take some, he could love you or she could love you as a doctor and think you're the greatest guy in the world. And um, you go to dinner and you played golf and you did all that stuff. They don't buy anything from you. It's, well, you still have a relationship. But the person who's actually selling them stuff has a relationship that's probably stronger because they're providing value to their practice, their patients, and the healthcare system, and the facilities they work at. And if you just think about it in that perspective, that's where the relationship builds and gets stronger. Yeah, you're exactly right. And, and you know, I think that the term relationship gets interesting. Um, Jim, you probably went through this in, in your career cycle like I did. I had to learn what relationship means. You know, there are many people right now, and in fact, I know I can say this because I am you and you are me. We as salespeople are some of the most insecure people I've ever met. And so what I would say to us is, is that your definition of relationship must change. I remember, just like you, I remember that keeper of the flag mentality of you just kind of you know, try to block the OR room from the competitor rep. You'll take a doctor to dinner. It's very superficial of sorts. Or you got a crappy product and you just entertain the doctor better than the next yeah. person. Yeah. You know, we, we all know yeah. we all know those people. What's happening during a pandemic for the doctor sales relationship is it goes back to access. They're depending more upon you. Your ability to expand beyond, I'll show up on time and I'll get you a product. And what I'm concerned about is that back in the day, 
I'm going to use the beeper word. Back in the day when you and I carried a beeper and we would leave the comfort of our home, schlep a minivan with a bunch of implants and show up, those days are different now. That's the price you pay for doing business. There are no bonus points whatsoever in this day and age, medical sales, college graduate, for you knowing your products. No bonus points. It's yeah. the price you pay for being a professional. It's the price that it's the same thing as when you go to an orthopedic surgeon, no bonus points for them fixing your fracture. That's right. what they get paid to do. Exactly. So I think it's important for you and I to talk about relationships. What I've learned is that you and I as sales professionals, if we buy into, we're problem solvers, we're people that can connect friendship-wise, we are professionals that know when to turn off the friend switch and when to turn on the professional switch. We're an advocate for our doctor. Those are the new breed of sales consultants that when you enter into that and when you master that, Jim, you and I are going to be working for those guys someday. Yeah. They, they are going to dominate their own distributorship. So I say to people, if you think the time to get out of being a medical distributor is now, I say it's short-sighted. There has never been a better time to expand your distributorship because of the reasons of restricted access. And in my opinion and yours, the, to be honest with you, the increased role and importance of a regional sales consultant versus, you know, days in the past where the manufacturer owned the relationship. Right. Those days are over with. Yeah. Yeah. No, I agree. So, but why do you say that? Well, I say that because I look at the facts that you just mentioned if we look at access and how access has changed, doctors are not flying first class to Memphis or San Diego right now to rub elbows with the CEO. Right. That's not happening. Right. Um, marketing reps are not flying into Chicago um, to rub elbows with the doctors at a good restaurant. So, the distributor or the sales consultant is the eyes and the ears and the image of the manufacturer's brand. And so I say that if you're a distributor and you want to democratize who you are and the value that you bring beyond the business card that you carry or what's stenciled on your scrubs, this is the best time to do it. Yeah. No, I agree. Now, you mentioned it's the best time you know, for access. And... There's people probably listening to this saying, you're out of your mind, right? This is not the right time. I mean, I've talked to, that's interesting. I, like I talked to people in the Mid-South and they have access. I talked to people in LA and it's restricted to parts of the Northeast. But I want to know why you think and what you're doing and how you approach this access um, in the marketplace, because I think it's incredibly important. Yeah, I appreciate you asking that question. And let me preface this by saying that if you're a medical device sales consultant or marketing consultant, your clients are my clients, busy surgeons who are going to spend an expensive amount of money on a product or service. That's, that's what we do. That's what you do. And you're exactly right, Jim. There's never been a better time in access. Here's what we did. 
and I'm going to use that P for pandemic word again, is during the pandemic, we said, are doctors spending more time on certain channels because they're either at home in the, the surgeon waiting room or in between cases during a pandemic? And the answer is yes, LinkedIn being one of those. So what we did is we invested, you're going to, your listeners will love this. We invested in a $15 a month software, which allows us on a, my team, a smartphone or the built-in webcam in your laptop to deliver a message to a doctor with the curiosity of a waving hand, a video that you can send text, direct message, etc. So the reason why inexpensive video, non-professional, rather personalized, works so well is because P, we're in a pandemic, and doctors are craving human contact. Now, they're not craving going to the parking garage and having a sales rep stalk them. (laughs) (laughs) They're not craving young Jim and young Matthew stalking them at the scrub sink in the OR. They're not craving that access. But when they get a 42-second video that pops up automatically on their direct message or text, and it goes something like this, Dr. Shurik, this is Matthew Scott. I thought this would be a more personalized way to connect with you during this pandemic. We work on three major problems for left-handed, one-eyebrowed orthopedic surgeons just like you. They are one, two, and three. If that's of interest to you, you can schedule a 15-minute chat. You'll see that little box at the end of this video. If it's not of interest to you, I'll assume that the timing is not right. And Jim... You can tell I've said that once, twice, or a thousand times. For our agency, to that left-handed, one-eyebrowed, orthopedic, or spine surgeon, my team and I do it all day long. And let me tell you what happened. We 3X'd our consultation. That's crazy. And and here's what I think. Are you going to share the name of the software? Oh, yeah. uh, Absolutely. (laughs) The the, the name of the software is called Vidyard. How do you spell that? Yeah, it's V-I-D-Y-A-R-D, Vidyard. And I'll even go one better. If you go to LinkedIn right now and you type in A for Ali, A-L-I, Ali Hamoud, Ali Hamoud at Vidyard. If you go to LinkedIn and you see a good-looking former professional boxer whose nose is slightly crooked, but whose intellect is great. He's our account manager. And you say, Jim and Matthew sent you this gritty, in his case, Canadian kid, which is, which is close to Midwest as it gets, Jim. Sure. This gritty Canadian kid will share exactly how we at Feed are 3Xing our consultations with busy surgeons and how, in part, we're doubling our business month over month. And so going back to this, because this is important, if you're listening to me right now, it's not about the technology. It's about making it easy 
using technology for doctors to figure out why they would even consider giving you 15 minutes. And so the big idea, Jim, is in a personalized way, because it turns out doctors are craving human contact, just like patients and we are. If you get a 42 second video from a man with a silver beard, you're at least going to be curious enough <laughs> to click on that and go, what is this hillbilly getting ready to tell me? <laughs> and, and here's closer, what happens. Closer to Christmas is why Santa <laughs> no doubt. me a and video. <laughs> after they say Santa Claus, here's what I want for Christmas. <laughs> after they say that, here's what happens, Jim. You rock them on their heels by not trying to be their buddy, by not trying to sell them anything, but rather you rock them on their heels by saying, Dr. Scratch and Sniff, because we're in a pandemic, I wanted to personalize my connection with you. Here's the top three challenges that we're known for, for surgeons just like you as it relates to our product or our service. Typically, if you're interested, you're gonna want 15 minutes. If you're not interested, feel free to respond and let me know. And I got to tell you, I, I use those words exactly. And I think that they appreciate it because their full of crap filter during a pandemic is high. So they know that I'm, I'm being truthful. But here's what happens. The efficiency, Jim. Jim, if you and I are back being sales leaders and we're armed with salespeople, I would turn to that young sales professional and say, you are out of your mind driving three hours across cities to meet with a doctor when every day you could participate in revenue producing activities and you can connect with doctors to determine top of the funnel if they're willing to give you 15 minutes. Yeah. And do you think post, let's say a vaccine comes out, right? And this whole thing goes away. Do you think that type of communication is going to last or do you think we're going to revert back to the way it was? I do. I think that two things are going to happen. I think that um, humans will always crave human contact, which is good and appropriate, meaning there is a time and a place for you and I to be standing tall at the scrub sink at one in the morning with a doctor, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, there, there's a time and a place for that. But I think the way that we connect prospecting and qualifying is going to be virtual. I'm, I think that if we woke up tomorrow and the pandemic goes away, Gloria Gatekeeper at Dr. Scratch and Sniff's office, she's still going to be trained on saying to the rep, send me some information. He'll call you if he's interested. Right. So I don't think that's going to go away. So what I think we're, we're getting ready to see is we're going to see a separation in the sales ranks. Those who can sell and those who are just really manufacturer reps, we're going to see a clear departure. And if you can sell, you're going to make a pivot that has less to do with dropping off brochures and more to do focused with how does Dr. Mueller, how does Dr. Shurik want to be engaged in the way that they want to buy products from us? And that's not going to be, hey, let's, let's go out to dinner where you got to sell your soul on expensive wine yeah. and meals every other day. Yeah. That'll still take place. But guess what? When you've done your job right, the doctor will split the bill with you. 
or he'll pay for it rather than assume that you're sucking up to him and you got to pay for everything. Yeah. That's when you've arrived. Yeah. No, that's true. And I think this, and I've seen it, this younger generation of doctor surgeons that are coming out um, don't want to spend time with their salespeople. They want to go home and spend time with their family. And they actually have a greater appreciation for technology than your old school, right? Because they grew up with it. They're, they've been using it. And so I think it's really important for sales reps, you know, you're listening to this podcast, to start thinking differently about selling and what technologies can you bring in for you and your company to become more effective and efficient. And this this transition from knocking on doors and, um, you know, shaking hands, kissing babies to this digital, you know, um, atmosphere is going to stay, you know, it's, it's going to stick around. And for you to succeed, you're going to have to adopt it. And mm-hmm. there's just no doubt about it. And yeah, I love what you just said there. I mean, that is so critical. Not a week goes by that some medical sales college person doesn't call me. And what I say to them out of respect for their time is I say, I'm getting ready to say some things that are going to be counterintuitive. Your first boss may not even agree with this. So I I told them, I go, you, you, I just want to put that into perspective. And I, I tell young people today, you're trying to focus your time on whether you should be a spine girl or an orthopedic guy. And the truth of the matter is, is you don't know enough about our industry to pick just yeah. one side. Right. And I go, so stop carrying that as a burden. And I go, and secondly, you're not thinking about the where you want to live. You and I, you know, at different points in our career, we figured out the where. And what I tell them is I go, right now you're 26 years old and you're never thinking that you're going to be 40 years old yeah. and wanting, you're a Chicago girl or you're a San Diego guy, you need to carve a career out of where you want to live. And if you're a New York City person, you have no business being in Toledo, Ohio, just because they offered you a job, if that's not where you want to live. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Well, it's like I said, you know, obviously, I'm from Chicago, you can tell by my voice. And I've always said, um, I'm pretty sure I wouldn't be that well accepted in parts of the country. Just and so, and knowing that, don't take the job, don't move there, and um, and that's fine. And we just we just know that. The other thing is is uh, what I really think about is I'll share two stories. When I was with sophomore Danik, and you know I was there for about a, two years, and I was just crushing it. Our distributor that I was working for was, uh, was let go. Um, we were still 1099 reps and the management team came to me, the VP of sales at Trarig and, and Mike Baylor came to I me. I know those guys. Yeah. They came to me and said, Jimmy, we want you to consider being our first direct sales manager, you know, district sales manager. And, uh, at this point, I built a, a, a territory that was like 300000 a year that I took over to over $3 million in about a year and a half. And I was making more money than I ever thought I'd make, probably in a lifetime. And I said, no, nah, I'm not interested. I'm, I'm making all this money. And 
it's just not something I want to do. I'd, I'd rather talk about a distributor. And they're like, man, we're probably getting away from distributors and this is the direction we're going to go. And then uh, Mike, Mike said to me, he goes, uh, he goes, he goes, um, Jimmy, you can't cover from, you know, the lake to Rockford to the border of Wisconsin. We're going to have to cut your territory anyways. And I go, oh, so that's what this is about. This is about screwing me. And so, <laughs> and so you know, that's the Chicago way. And so um, they're like, no, 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 calm down. And you can, I was pretty wild, you know, when I was 27 years old. And um, that was like at lunchtime. So then at dinner or at the end of the evening, I was going home because of the training, we were having a training session in Lyle, Illinois. And uh, so I, I was going back home uh, to my wife and Mike pulled me aside and he goes, he asked me a question. I said, and, and, uh, you know, and I love Mike and, and, and still to this day I do. And Mike said to me, cause it was the best advice I ever got. He goes, what do you want to do? And I said, I want to make as much money as possible. And this just isn't the, that direction I want to go. And he goes, well, don't base your long-term career goals on short-term financial rewards. Yeah. Okay. Great now, advice. Oh, and, I, and I've used that and I've shared that with so many people. You know, it's like out of the Gladiator movie, you know, what you do in life echoes for eternity. And I share that with more and more people that came from Mike and it's impacted people's lives. The other one is, so we're talking about decision-making, right? So like what you're saying, the other one was when I was going into spinal implants, I had an offer to go to a Zimmer distributor to sell uh, drills and or sophomore Danic. Every person I talked to told me not to go into spinal implants. Everyone. And I, and I just sat there and I go, why is everyone avoiding that road? Everyone's going down this one. I'm going to go down that road. And it really, it worked out, right? And it was the right road to go down. Then I left Medtronic and went to Advanced Bionics to a startup. Everybody told me I was crazy, right? How can you leave Medtronic? How could you leave this? And that is what set my career really in the startup field and in that market building these companies. And, and I share that because, not that I'm brilliant, you know, but that, You've really got to think about what, like you said, what you want to do and where you want to be and don't follow the path uh, that everyone else is going down because it, it's not, it might not be the right fit for you. Some people, big companies is a perfect fit for others. It's not and it's okay. Yeah, it's all part of that journey, which I think is healthy. And hey, Jim, can I tell you my story yeah. that kind of aligns with that? Um, I, I love that story. I, I love it. Uh, I know I know those individuals that you speak of because I was part of a company and we sold our distributorship to Medtronic Software Danic. Nice. Um, so I I remember um, respecting those gentlemen. <clears throat> My eyes were opened. You and I know what it's like the moment or the location when you and I go, wow. This is where it's at. This is what I'm supposed to be doing, or I need to be thinking bigger. And I'll never forget this. I, I will not mention this gentleman's name because he's still wreaking havoc out there. Um, uh, so I, I don't want to break any confidence. But sure. I remember I'm, I don't know, probably 40 years old. And I got to meet a distributor. And I got to travel with this distributor. And modest dress, humble man, 
just to to borrow like an Al Pacino quote, never let them see you coming, you know, type sure. of guy, right? And we, I get to talk with him on the second day of of meeting him, etc. And and he starts talking about how he was he was going down medical school and he dropped out of medical school, and then he became a medical distributor. And I asked him, I go why was that? And he goes, cause I met a person who I went into business that told me, why would you take a pay cut to be a doctor when you can join me in a distributorship and make more money than any doctor out there? Yeah. And so fast forward the next day and I'm in a private plane with this guy. Yeah. His own plane. Again, you may know who it is. I, I think I do. Names. Yeah. yeah, we won't mention names. Yep. And it's his own plane. He's not, I mean, and this is, I mean, gosh, this is 2006. I mean, his own plane, and we're going from point A to point B. Again, modest, humble, even if you can have such extravagant surroundings. And he told me something that I never forgot. He said, Matthew, and this ties in with choosing your wear. He said, Matthew, I'd rather be the king of Oregon or insert state, king of Montana, king of South Dakota, king of Arkansas, king of Wisconsin. Take a quote unquote second tier state. And I don't mean that in quality, but take a state that's not on the radar screen like a California or a Texas. He goes, I'd rather be the king of Oregon than a popper of San Diego. Yeah. And I never forgot those words. And so there is something to be said about sales distributors saying, Louisiana, they're my tribe. If, if you're a doctor who speaks funny and you went to school in Baton Rouge, you're mine. Yeah. You, you must come through me in the great state of Louisiana as it relates to spine orthopedics. Those distributors that figure out their where earlier in their career, they're going to go from location to relationships, from relationships to revenue, to building a business in the millions that is the best of both worlds. And when they want to step back into the ring and the big guy shows up in the operating room and every resident points to them and says, that's Jim, that's Matthew with respect. That's the ability to create a profession around your where, and then let the what come trailing along. I mean, you and I have been in different fields. I, I too was a spine guy until I was no longer a spine guy. Yeah. And then I became an orthopedic guy. And I'm so grateful that I had that guidance along the way to not make me think that I was just this or just that. Well, well, that's the thing, right? Especially, um, you know, some senior guys in the field is that as I went from spine to neuromodulation pain to cochlear implants to ENT and now into the digital health space, I am I am not that right. I'm not the spine guy, and and uh, 
and for people out there, you know, listening, it's it's probably healthy to try different specialties because nobody can pigeonhole you, and then you can say, "I've succeeded in multiple marketplaces." Yeah. Right, and that's much more valuable, and and it's okay because I still hear it. Wow, I'm a you know, spine guys. Right. And, and it's like spines where it's at. It's like, well, okay, but there's other places too, you know? Yeah. Sales sales is where it's at. Yeah, That's exactly. what I, tell people. I go, Hey, you go be a spine guy and I'm going to learn to be a problem solving guy that sells services and products. And we'll see at the end of the day who still has a job. Yeah. And you know, and I don't mean that in a brash and an no, overconfident way, but that comment, I would, I would source and credit whoever came up with this. I don't know, but we're all in sales. Just most of us don't realize it yet. Whoever said that was exactly right. And there's honor in that. And it's, it's funny, Jim, I tell you, I remember younger in my career, my goal was to sell more than anybody else so that I would get promoted so that I would no longer have to sell. <laughs> and now that I'm a dude with gray hair and a gray beard at 55, now I know what my mentor knows, which is all I want to do is problem solve and take our products and services and align it to that problem. And sales is the most noble profession that we could be in yeah. if you think of it that way. Yep. I agree 100%. Now, you, you mentioned problem solving, being a problem solver. I want this audience to know, you got, so you got all these medical device people listening to this, what your company does for medical device companies, because obviously if um, you can help them uh, help their company, it'll help the sales rep that's listening to this. Yeah, I appreciate you asking that. So, Let's start off. So Feed is a healthcare brand agency that I started in 2008. We've grown to three locations in the United States. And what we do for medical device companies is medical device companies that are struggling with the money pit of traditional marketing and getting busy surgeons to be interested in their technology. They hire us to figure out that story. And we use video, we use social media, we use digital marketing to create that. So that's on the device side. On the distributor side of the house, and I use the word distributor, not W2 medical salesperson. During the pandemic, we created a course. It's called Medical Sales RX, the virtual operating Zoom. And what we do, Jim, is, and we've been sold out in the three months that we've offered it so far. We're getting ready to open up in October um, a new uh, registration. And what we did is we took everything that we learned in selling expensive products and services to busy surgeons, using technology, increasing our consultations 3x in less time with less effort for less money, everything that we learned We turn that into a course, which we lead. It's a virtual course. We hop on Zoom. There's handouts. There's downloads. There's videos. There's recordings. There's um, interface with us. And we put that into a course. So that's on the distributor side. On the doctor side, 
and this is also where medical sales professionals, we figured out since 2008 how to step up alongside surgeons, in particular specialty surgeons, orthopedic, spine, neurosurgery, interventional cardiology, in particularly those specialties. And we figured out, and we do this every day with new clients, how to help them differentiate themselves from Dr. X and Dr. Y of the same specialty across the street. So we operate in those three kind of areas of where things are happening as far as problem solving. All right. That's awesome. So when you say this course for distributors, would you be opposed if uh, uh, Medtronic Rep wanted to join that course? Love it. Uh, for the record, we have, um, I won't mention names, but um, we have entire sales teams that are taking the course. And then we've got gritty, I keep using Midwestern because I finally get to talk to a member of my tribe. You and I, I'm from Arkansas, close enough. That's still considered Midwest, Southwest. You're a gritty Chicago kid. So I finally get to speak to a member of my tribe. And then we have distributors in Rockford, Illinois. We've got distributors in LA. We've got direct sales reps working for the who's who of orthopedic and spine companies. So if you want more information on that, what, what I'll do, Jim, is if you don't mind, if you can lead people or if you're listening to me right now, if you just type in, here's a good Southern name for you, go to LinkedIn and type in, type in Matthew Ray Scott. And if you DM me, I promise you, I will respond to you and we can talk so you can learn more. Secondarily, another source is if you go to feedtheagency.com, you're going to see your surgeons that you're serving. We're serving them too. We're just helping them grow their brand and their bottom line. Yeah. And so, you know, this is, I guess, you know, I'm a sales rep. I would be contacting you to, and learning more and as a sales rep going into your doctors, introducing your doctors to Matthew and his team. Now you're creating value, right? It has nothing to do with your product. It has nothing to do with your service. It has to do with you creating a, a different type of value proposition. And it doesn't cost much to have a conversation. So, Absolutely. Um, In right. fact, Jim, what I will tell you without breaking confidence is we've got sales reps that are making more money from feed the agency and providing value add and then our, our referral opportunities and partnership opportunities. They're making more money from feed than they are from Big Brother. Yeah. Yeah. I could see that. I could see it. So you guys get in contact. Um, Matthew, I know your time is valuable. We've, uh, we've uh, gone past an hour here. Um, anything else you want to share with the Medical Sales Nation? At the risk of sounding corny, I want to say thank you, Jim, for being a voice in this space. I think that there are a lot of people listening to us whenever you listen to this and you're struggling. You're, you're maybe even struggling to discover whether you want to be in this profession. What I would say to you before you say, this is not a fit, I'm out of here, before you bail out, I want you to take a moment, reach out to somebody who's succeeding during this pandemic. The same thing that made you passionate 
about serving doctors, being in the OR, working on deals, making money. That same passion is just 15 degrees to the left or right. You just have to have the tools before you quit. Talk to me, Jim, or somebody else so that you can make a 15 degree pivot, fall in love with our profession all over again, and then be the go-to expert in your area. Yeah. And then, you know, that fall, fall, I mean, that's, that's perfect. And that, you know, fall in love with the profession is, um, I, I think that's the, the right way of looking at it is there's an opportunity to redefine success and how you do it because of the situation that we're in. It's not over, you know, and it's, I put these posts out saying it's not over. It's just changed. There's ways to augment your skill sets, augment the way in which you're providing value, but you have to be a student of your game and you have to be an active participant in your career to make it work. Cause it's so true. You know, I, I remember when you and I, you and I are right at the same age back in the day, I remember looking at people at national sales meetings that walked up on the stage that put the, the Rolex on their wrist and had a trophy to take home in their take-home luggage. I looked at those people. Some of those people I wanted to be like. Most of those people I didn't want anything to do with. <laughs> And so along the way, I began to, like we all do, think and learn and pivot into who am I becoming as a professional? I remember thinking that. And what I can honestly say is that I, like many of you, I had a crisis of belief where I'm like, I'm done doing this. I am out of this industry. I'm going to go do something else. And I'm so grateful that just in kind of that self-awareness that I stopped the pity party and I stopped associating the changes in the market with my love of being in the OR, talking to doctors, um, helping them to treat more patients. That love has never left me. So fast forward to today at 55, I remember thinking, what if I could expand beyond having products and services for doctor? And what if I could be just like the mentor who took pity on me in 1995? What if I virtually could be that dude? And at the risk of sound and corny, I love that. There tends to be, Jim, every week, three to four to five people who are either wet behind the ear, they're going to enter into global domination, or they are sucking their thumb asking themselves, do I want to do this anymore? And I love those conversations because just like a mentor helped shape you, my mentor or mentor helped me. And at 55, Monday's my favorite day because I now get to do this for fun. And I now get to, like all of us who had a great mom and dad, I remember my dad saying, Matthew, when you find work that matters, you'll never work another day for the rest of your life. That wasn't true for most of my life, but now it's true. And I love that place. And those who are listening to us, why not you? Yeah. I think that's a perfect way to end this. Why not you? So Matthew, I appreciate your time. You're, you're uh, sharing your experiences, your wisdom, your thoughts. Um, 
It's been great. This has uh, just been a great conversation. I've enjoyed it. Hey, tell the missus to leave an open spot at dinner tonight. I'm I'm hopping in the car right now <laughs> to your place. <laughs> oh, that's funny. And you know what? I, I'll share this last thing. When I said, you know, uh, Mike Baylor said, don't uh, make base your long-term career goals on short-term rewards. I, I didn't make a decision, obviously, right then. I went home to my wife. And I told her what happened, and I told her what uh, the advice was, and she goes, you're taking that job. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I have to give credit where credit is due. That's to my wife. So Hey, I'm right there. I married Sweet Sandy, the best-looking girl in my eighth-grade class in Arkansas, and we've still been married all these years. And um, you and I have shared that story about you know being married to strong and supportive women. And my wife at that juncture for me, when I had my head tucked between my tail and I felt like I was sucking, my wife did the whole, hey, give it another 30 days. Well, that went on for 90 days. <laughs> and on day 91, I sold more money on day 91 to last me the whole year. And I went back to my wife and I said, on day one through 90, I wanted to quit she had everything to lose, meaning it would have been easy for her to go, hey, Matthew, go back into spine and be a fancy VP again. Yeah. But she didn't because yeah. she could see the future when I couldn't. And to this day, I'm always thankful for the trust that and, and your wife and, and my wife that, that they pour into us. Yeah, absolutely. So once again, Matthew, thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate it. And uh, Medical Sales Nation. Keep hanging tough. Don't give up. Why not you?